Welcome. This is the Ambassadors Forum here on True Talk 800 KPDQ. Uh, we are the Ambassadors Forum. You can find us at ambassadorsforum.com. What do we do? We do Christian apologetics, Christian philosophy based on Christian theology, based on revealed wisdom in the Bible. We present God to the world and we present him as he is, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. I apologize, I can't remember if that's in Exodus or Deuteronomy. We use the Bible because, according to Hebrews 4, the Bible is alive and active. It's living and active. It's sharper than any sword, even a two-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing our soul, our spirits, our joints, our meat, our muscle, our marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. Who am I? I am Charles Jackson, nobody of consequence, hosting this for the third and final week. Uh, next week, we'll go back to our regular hosts. Topic today, the world doesn't believe in Christianity, the non-Christian world doesn't, and the hurdles to believing in Christianity are getting more numerous. They may also be getting weirder, stranger, harder to understand. We'll borrow heavily, heavily, heavily from Carl Truman's book, that came out last year in 2020. The name of the book is Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. It's not the full title. The full title is very long, but if you Google or go to your local bookstore and ask for Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self by Carl Truman, they will get it for you. It is a very good book. I highly recommend it. I get nothing for promoting it. I'm not a salesperson. It's just something I read and I believe in. There is a clash of cultures. The church in the United States were located and placed by God into a culture that is changing. Probably right now I say it's changing rapidly. And as it's changing, it's becoming maybe unrecognizable to some Christians. What do I mean? Six years ago, after the Obergefell court decision, effectively making homosexual marital unions the law of the land, what happened is progressive culture in the United States very, very quickly picked up transgenderism as their new cultural struggle. And immediately you saw it in newsprint, uh, in magazines, and on TV, Bruce Jenner, preferred pronouns, gender transitioning surgery. It was everywhere. The culture was insisting what these transgendered ideas that were previously incomprehensible, ununderstandable, are now incontestable. What were these new pro-transgendered ideas based on? What were its foundations? What were its presuppositions? A culture has its own presuppositions. If you grow up in a certain area, you think a certain way. If you grow up in another area, you might think a different way because of the presuppositions of everybody else around you. I lived in Japan. My wife and I did. Japan assumes that the community and the family are more important than in the individual. You grow up that way. You think that way. You don't really question it. You might not even realize you think that way but you do. Contrast that with the United States, where we have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness enshrined into our laws. It's the focal point of our law. Here, the individual is more important than the group. We don't question it. We really can't even think outside of it because we're so used to it. Those are cultural presuppositions. In this excellent book, again, by Carl Truman, Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, Mr. Truman, who is an Orthodox Presbyterian pastor from Pennsylvania, also a college professor, also a historian, he asks the question, what does a culture have to assume for this phrase to make sense? And the phrase is, I am a man trapped in a woman's body. Of course, you could turn it around. I am a woman trapped in a man's body. 
what does a culture have to assume for that phrase to make sense? If we said that to anybody in the past, at any time, up until 10 years ago, it would have been incoherent to those folks. If we say that now to most cultures in the world, in China, in the Middle East, in Muslim North Africa, in Christian Central and South Africa, in Japan, in Polynesian cultures, anywhere that's not the West, if we say that, I am a man trapped in a woman's body, it doesn't make sense to them. But here in the West, it's not only present, it's growing, and it's growing among the average man and woman on the street. It's no longer just gender theory professors locked in closets teaching to a couple kids in uh, some high-level graduate school class and writing books that nobody reads. This is trickling down to the average man and woman on the street through schools, through books, through culture. What culture has to assume for the phrase, I am a man trapped in a woman's body, to make sense, is a quantum leap in opinion. It's a massive leap from where we once were. Because it's a, as someone once said, it's a defiance of ontology. In the LGBT movement, the L, the G, and the B are somewhat similar. They all mean, I like this. But the T means, I am this. Again, it's a defiance of ontology. I create myself. Outside world, be damned. The steps that lead to this phrase making sense in our view of human identity that comes from it, that we're currently now thinking through in the West, this is what Carl Truman calls the modern self, or more specifically, the modern therapeutic self. It's the whole thesis of his book. It's what I learned from it. It is very valuable information. It's a very valuable thesis. And it's framed the way I think of these things. What is the modern self? It's the idea that your changing desires are what you are. Your changing desires produce and determine, and they are your identity. You are your desires, especially, especially your sexual and gender desires. Your identity, according to the modern therapeutic self, is not determined by your family, your income, your DNA, your appearance, your education, your talents, your goals, your charitable giving. And this one is key. It's also not determined by who made you. Your identity and yourself is determined by what brings you pleasure or what you think brings you pleasure. That's why so many progressive folks in the West currently are not saying the word sexual preference anymore to describe the sexual preference. They'll say the word sexual identity. When talking about their gender, folks won't say I have gender whims or gender wishes. They will say they have a gender identity. And to them, it's just as objective as your age or your race. Now, this modern therapeutic self, it comes with doctrines. It comes with supporting doctrines or sub-doctrines. One would be the self to determine yourself and your desires. You look deep within yourself and your inner desires will tell you what to do. They will tell you what you want. Another sub-doctrine of this is that your inner desires, when they tell this to you, they won't let you down. They will give you the desires of your heart. And these desires are authoritative. They determine how you act. We've had sort of this basic idea for a long time. I'd argue that even though it's not a progressive document, the ideas enshrined in the Declaration of Independence partially line up with this. 
that every person has a right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Related to this, we have other new doctrines, other connected doctrines, other related doctrines. One is that everything outside of you must conform to the identity that you've chosen. To let the outside world control your identity is repression. You shouldn't accept any repression or oppression from anybody. So we must make everything conform to our modern therapeutic self. You have to make your name conform. You have to make the gender on your birth certificate conform. You may have to make your body parts conform, your appearance, your name, and you even have to try to make your basic biology conform, which as we all know is impossible. Another new doctrine related to the modern concept of the therapeutic self is that every person you interact with must affirm your dreams and identity. The vocabulary of other folks must conform to your beliefs about yourself. That is why in modern progressive culture, if somebody says my pronouns are he, him, and his, that is what you're supposed to use when you refer to that people. My pronouns are they, them. You're supposed to use they, them when referring to that individual. My pronouns are z, zim, or zur. We must affirm everyone's identity, their own chosen identity, so we must use their pronouns. If you're jumping into the conversation, how you might be wondering, what am I saying? I am not endorsing this. I'm presenting this idea, the idea of the modern therapeutic self. And since everyone and everything must conform to your chosen gender identity, because that is your identity, it's who you are, locker room rules must change to accommodate you. School rules must change to accommodate you. The rules of Olympic weightlifting, very much in the news right now, must change to accommodate your chosen gender identity. Another related doctrine to this is that not affirming somebody's sexual identity is not just rude. It's not just a social faux pas. It's an aggressive act against that person. So they would say, if you refer to Bruce Jenner as Mr. Bruce Jenner, that's not just rude. You're attacking his existence. You're questioning his right to exist is often how it's phrased. Now, you might say that's hyperbole. That's ridiculous. I'm not questioning his right to exist. I just don't think he can define biology through his whims. I agree. It is hyperbole, but it's what many folks believe. And we're just explaining that to you today. So you know what to do with it. When did the idea of the modern therapeutic self start? Hard to say. You could say it starts with Rousseau and the Romantics. Rousseau and the Romantics, as they went inward to satisfy their own desires, to explore their own desires, and they might have said that your dreams, your desires, your wants, that is the apex of living. So pursue those dreams, pursue those desires. But Rousseau and the Romantics, they still believed in a transfixed human nature. They still believe that the world, the outside world is immovable. There is a framework, a moral framework, and a limit to our desires. After the Romantics comes Freud. In Freud, the self is a project of our desires. We work out our desires as our lifelong project. And Freud believed that so many of our inner desires and inner self are sexual desires. As you may have heard, probably have, Freud focused very much on sex. He would say our deep desires aren't for food or companionship or forgiveness or protection, just sex. That's the apex of our lives and it's the explainer of all our behavior. Hugh Hefner from the 50s until a few years ago, he lived that out. He lived that out his whole life as if to prove Freud true. We've embraced both Freud and Hefner. If you read Freud, who was very anti-religious, 
anti-church. He still believed that sexual taboos were necessary for a society and that total sexual anarchy would really harm all of us. But after Freud comes Michel Foucault, the French philosopher. He doesn't believe we need sexual taboos. He believes we need to create our own self and the outside objective world really doesn't matter. We are our self-makers. We make ourselves. So at Foucault's advice, here we are now in 2021 in the United States and in the West. Now you may say, doesn't Christianity also believe in the self and that desires are part of ourselves? Yes, very much so. In Psalms and in Romans 7, David and Paul wrestle with themselves. They wrestle with themselves. They don't like what's inside of themselves. They're contending it. They're confessing their desires. Augustine does this too. Christian writers went into the self, but as they went into themselves, they found sinfulness and the need for a rescue from somebody outside of ourselves. From Romans, the very famous verse, what a wretched man I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul's realizing he has a self. He's realizing a self is bad. Christian and old Jewish writers went inward to realize how we fall short of the glory of God. But the modern self goes inward to discover its deepest desires, which are itself. And then it only comes out of itself to protect itself against anything in the outside world that would say, hey, deny yourself. Again, in the modern self, that is repression. The inner self must express itself and everyone else must accept it. No one can crush your inner self. Whether it be biology, whether it be somebody else's opinions, whether it be theology. In Christianity, it's the heart and the inside that are wrong and flawed, and God is right. Well, in the modern self, the inner man is right, and anything saying otherwise is wrong and needs to be rejected. Indeed, we can say that modern therapy very much works this way. Since Carl Truman calls his book The Modern Therapeutic Self, he makes this point that in any culture and ages past, if you have something wrong with you, if you have something that makes you unhappy, you would go to the priest or the clergy or the witch doctor. And what they would do is they would help you conform to these objective moral outside laws, laws outside yourself, to bring you happiness. Nowadays, there's an unspoken assumption in therapy, maybe even a spoken assumption. Therapists let you decide, let your inner self guide you, assuming that your inner self will know what makes you the happiest. And then they protect you from any outside pressure, from family, from your own personal history from conformity, from theology, from churches, from friends. And if sex isn't just what you do and it's what you prefer, if instead your sexual desires are who you are, then to not support somebody's sexual desires or gender's desires, that doesn't mean you disagree with somebody's actions. It means you disagree with their identity. You're not disagreeing with their behavior. You're attacking who they are, according to the modern therapeutic self. And now that's very much protected by law, employer harassment guidelines. Some localities such as New York City and in Ontario have experimented with language laws, transgender language laws, to force folks to say certain pronouns in business places, in the marketplace. In Christianity, there's a popular phrase, we say, we love the sinner, but we hate the sin. And to a lot of young folks who have been raised with the modern therapeutic self-view, that's incomprehensible. That doesn't make sense. How can you love the sinner and hate the sin? How can you love the person and hate the action? You need to love both because the person is the preference. The person is the action. And if a church says, come as you are, but then leave changed, 
to the modern therapeutic self, that could be seen as very aggressively harmful. And I should also say that as culture continues this way, then the message of the church, the message of Jesus gets more obnoxious to the unbelieving Western world the more time goes on. You might say, why even bring up this topic? Why is it even valuable? We know there's something weird going on. We know our culture's worldviews are twisted and they come from a different perspective. What's the purpose of even putting a label on this? And I'll say a couple purposes. In the past, apologetics, its job was to explain the church to the world. These, hey world, these are our Christian ideas. It comes from these verses here in Romans and these verses here in Acts and these verses here in Genesis. You might not understand these things like the Trinity, justification, sanctification, the work of Jesus on the cross, but we're going to explain it to you. But now, apologetics, as the world gets more and more novel and unique, Apologetics is also having to explain these outside worldly ideas to the church, which is what we're doing today. It's what Carl Truman does in his book. By understanding it's the presuppositions, diagnosing this and giving a name to the modern therapeutic self, we can understand its doctrines. And frankly, that helps us attack it. It's easier to get folks to realize they've adopted a worldview if that worldview has a name. And again, labelable doctrines, describable doctrines that can then be criticized. Up until now, a lot of folks who would subscribe and agree with the LGBT movement just assumed that they were being kind or progressive or it's what their friends wanted, their family wanted, so they go along with it. Now, if we understand what the modern therapeutic self is, we say, ah, you believe in the modern therapeutic self. And that helps us offer a contrasting view, which we very much do. Suppose somebody says the word gender identity. For example, they might say, my brother was born a woman but he has a male gender identity. So he goes by he, him pronouns. Even though she was born a woman, we treat him like a man now. My family has agreed to do this. If somebody says that, how do we respond? We respond kindly. We respond truthfully. When presented with something like this, one of the things I like to do is I like to take time and ask what they mean. What do they mean by some of the words they use? Ask when this happened. Ask background questions like how long has your sibling felt this way? What made them feel this way? Did they have any friends that felt this way? Did they read any books that let them feel this way? And then I'd ask the probing questions. You know, when folks say gender identity, why do they say gender identity instead of gender wishes? Why is that desire to be a certain gender, why is that your identity and not just your wish or your preference? Get folks to realize that that is a doctrine of the modern therapeutic self and there are alternative views. It's not the only way to view the world. I would also ask, why do our desires define who we are instead of our biology and our physical reality defining who we are? I might say I'm a pasta lover. I'm actually very much a a bacon lover, a pork lover. Pig meat is wonderful. But I don't say I am a pasta lover or I am a pasta filiac. I would just say I like pasta. It's a preference. It's not my identity. I'm an early morning riser. I like to get up early in the morning, 6 to 6.30. It's not my identity, it's what I prefer. I would ask then, why is transgender your sister's identity and not just her preference? Might also lead the person to this conclusion or this thought. Would your sibling be better off fighting for contentment in the way she was born and how she was made instead of making her biological reality try to conform to her and her wishes? Since that can't really be achieved, could that really satisfy somebody? I'd also ask, are we slaves, all of us slaves to our inner desires? Do they have to control us or can they be tamed? Are our inner desires always authoritatively correct? Do they ever mislead us? 
some folks who do hormone therapy or surgery to make their body look a certain way that they want it to look, uh, which, by the way, is a very final decision, a very fatal decision. But then when they lose these transgenders' desires, they can't restore their body back to the way it once was. I may also a person say, you know, I understand why somebody would feel uncomfortable in their own skin. I'm a Christian. 2 Corinthians 5 says, Paul says, I would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. A lot of us feel uncomfortable in our own body, but they are a gift from God. To say that we should change ourselves, that we were born in the wrong skin, is to say that God made a mistake and we can improve upon it. Here's another scenario. A lot of us at Workplace now, we have coworkers who on their email signature will have their name, John Smith, Jane Doe, their maybe work position, their phone number, the company they work for, and then it'll say something like, John Smith, he, him, his. Jane Jones, she, her. They put on there the preferred pronouns they'd like to use. If you don't use somebody's pronouns, and I don't, I will use the objective pronouns that describes the reality of the way that God made them, the way they were born. Folks might say, hey, you're not using this person's preferred pronouns. That's trans violence. You're committing violence against this person's existence. How would we respond to that? I've seen this happen in public. I've seen this happen online a few times. A few responses might be, well, I'm really glad you're looking out for the best interest of your friend, your friend who has transgendered feelings. And so I thank you for your concern for this person. You're clearly a good friend. You have good intentions. I would also, though, say, you say I'm committing violence against their existence. How so? How am I doing that? Violence is a very strong statement. Against their existence is also a very strong statement. It's probably even a hyperbolic statement. Why did you say that? Instead of just saying, hey, that's rude. Or, hey, you would prefer it if you don't say her. I might reply with, thank you for bringing that up. I don't use preferred pronouns. That's true. I don't use somebody's preferred pronouns. Can you imagine why I wouldn't? Can you imagine why somebody wouldn't use somebody else's preferred pronouns? Can you imagine why somebody would think it's best not to? And leave it there. See what they tell you. My answer would be, I don't do it for women's rights reasons, for biological reasons, for science reasons, for free speech reasons, for freedom of thought reasons, and most importantly, for Christian reasons. That's why I don't. If somebody defends their friend, declares that you need to use somebody's preferred pronouns, I might ask, ah, are you a follower of Judith Butler or Foucault? That's a very Judith Butler or Foucault thing to say. I'm not a follower of Judith Butler or Foucault. I'm much more in line with the Apostle Paul, Augustine, King David in ancient Israel, and Jesus. And that's why I don't use preferred pronouns. When you do that, somebody might realize, wait a second, my ideas come from a source. They're not just the way our culture is now expressing kindness. Who is Judith Butler? Who is Michelle Foucault? In the end, I would let somebody know I don't use preferred pronouns because I don't believe in the modern therapeutic self. As I said earlier, I believe in the objective self as understood by biology and Christianity and virtually every society and person that ever existed up until now. As a Christian, I have a commitment to classify and describe the world that we live in in the way that God describes it. I can't say a fish is a cloud. I can't say a bicycle is water. I know somebody else would prefer to control my language and force me to use language that conforms to their view, but I have to use the language that conforms to God's view. Scenario number three, this is the last one. If somebody says trans women are women, how would we reply to that? That's a bold assertion, trans women are women. I would ask them, then why do you need the prefix trans then? Why not say women are women? 
I would also ask maybe what are the two things that you're distinguishing between when you say trans women versus women? I would also ask when you say trans women or women, by what standard? What standard are you using? Where is this coming from? I would ask, are there any distinctions between women and trans women? What are these distinctions? I'd ask him, can you see why folks would disagree with the statement trans women or women? Why would folks disagree with that? See if the person can understand the other point of view. In the end, I would say that trans women, the phrase trans women or women is a doctrine of the modern therapeutic self coming from Freud through Foucault and Judith Butler. I don't believe in the modern therapeutic self. I believe in being honest with our language and not modifying reality to fit the whims of folks. I appreciate your desire to be kind to your friends with transgendered feelings. That's very nice of you. But lying about reality is just a bridge too far for me. I believe it's better for folks with transgendered feelings to adapt to reality instead of making reality adapt to them. I would also ask, what if those folks with trans feelings sought another change? What if, instead of changing their biology or attempting to, changing their friends' views and what their friends publicly confess about them, what if they ask God to change their souls and their minds and their emotions instead? Is maiming our bodies the only solution to feeling that you were born in the wrong body? Are there other solutions? There are. God changed me. He changed my heart. He took out my heart that had evil desires and gave me a heart that's more inclined to what he wants, the good things he gives us. Try it. With that, we finish. Thank you for joining us this week, this Saturday morning on the Ambassadors Forum, right here on Kate True Talk, 800-KPDQ. My name is Charles Jackson. Find us at theambassadorsforum.com. We will see you next week. Thank you.